at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello everyone. It is March. It is March. It is going to get very weird in college basketball very quickly. This is one of those seasons, I know we say it most years, but this is one of those seasons that you're really not going to know what's going to happen. Um, and I think this one stands out probably the most since at least 2007, maybe 2006. Um, Dan, you could tell me if I'm wrong there, just because of uh, the amount of teams that could conceivably win it, um, the amount of teams that could conceivably make some noise in the tournament, and the fact that um, we just don't have we don't have a dominant team. We don't even have a dominant like group of of three to four. This is, I'd say, a pretty wide open group of at least 12 to 16 that could very easily win the, the NCAAs right now. Yeah, I, I think we're starting to see Kansas pull away as like the definitive number one team. Um, and, you know, we've talked about them a decent amount the last couple of weeks. I think they really, they probably the most talented team. Obviously, uh, they've had their NCAA tournament issues in recent years. Um, but I really like their group. But, uh, but outside of that, I mean, I think there's uh, probably nine or ten teams that could still get a one seed. Um if everything breaks right. Uh, and I think, you know, there's plenty of other teams that uh, seem to be putting it all together and, and look like contenders. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there's a group of maybe, maybe even like 15 that none of them would surprise me if uh, one of them came out and went the whole way. And uh, a lot of them, I mean, I think it's a good year for Syracuse to be in the position it is. I mean, I'd much rather be among those teams battling for a one seed, but if you're going to be like a, a seven or eight that has some fatal flaws, but can, you know, go on runs like we've seen the team do at times this year and, and, uh, you know, get really hot from three and, and have a couple of, uh, big playmakers put together huge games. Um, this is the year to do it. So, uh, I think it's, uh, it's going to be a really interesting field. I'm, I'm incredibly excited for it to get started. And, and we actually technically, uh, in the broadest definition of March madness, we have some fun like Northeast tournament, uh, um, and a couple other Ohio Valley tournament games tonight. So uh, I always enjoy those tournaments when they get down to the championships just because the atmospheres are always crazy. So we're really, really getting in the thick of it here. Oh, yeah. And those fun – I mean, obviously I'm, I'm very glad that I'm a fan of a big school and a big school that's good at basketball. But um, it's a lot of fun to watch those smaller tournaments, especially because, yeah, you know, they, they understand just like we do. Like that tournament is the only shot they have to get into the dance, even if they lose in round one. They got there, um, and it's, it's it's a special experience for a lot of those kids, and that's why you know people just kind of fall in love with with March Madness, even if they're casual basketball fans. Um, I, I think you brought up a good point with Syracuse. I mean, whether we're a seven or an eight or a nine or whatever, I mean, you don't want to be on the opposite line of a one or two, but um, you know, this is probably the year um, that that you know you can afford to do it, and and if you're hanging around any of those seeds, like you probably have more hope than most years, especially with you know pretty flawed teams like Villanova um, hanging around the one line. Um, 
Well, Syracuse does two things that uh, that really, really uh, benefit you um, come the tournament, and that, and again, we'll see in the ACC tournament, you know, how much that helps. But I, I can only think it's going to help the NCAA's uh, should we make it, and hopefully we will. Um, and that is play uh, great defense, and we're second um, in opposing field goal percentage in the ACC, um, and hit threes. And I know that threes are streaky, and sometimes the defense can look a little disjointed too, um, especially on the interior. But in general. Um, you know, Syracuse has at least the recipe to, to put together something this year um, if it can just stay focused um, for a full 40 um, once it gets to the dance. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's going to be so matchup dependent this year. Like, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking at Lenardi's most recent bracket, and he has this against Colorado in the first round. And, like, the name Colorado doesn't scare me really, but Colorado does two things they rebound, um, they're number three in the country in rebounding. And they have four guys who shoot over 40% from three. And as a team, they shoot 39.7% from three. Uh, so those are both terrifying things. Uh, so I don't know if we match up well with Colorado. But I also, you know, the name Colorado, I haven't seen very much of them at all this year. Maybe you've seen more being out west. But, like, that shouldn't scare me. But then there might be, you know, a better team that just doesn't shoot well or, or doesn't rebound well and won't be able to take advantage of what Syracuse doesn't do well that, you know, SU could probably handle even if they're a team that's like on the four or five line or something. So it's going to be one of those years where, I mean, if, if anyone has anywhere near like a perfect bracket this year, good for them because I, I don't think uh, any of us are going to really have a great beat on what what happens once uh, Slutch and Sunday rolls around and we see where who is where. No, I mean, there's so many teams it's going to be matchup dependent on. And I feel like it's increased in the last couple of years. Um, just, you know, t- the wrong teams get the wrong matchup, or in the case of the lower seeds, the right team get the right matchup. Uh, for Syracuse, I think that's going to go double. Um, obviously, we can play with teams that, that might play to our you know weaknesses. I think uh, North Carolina, we're going to wade into that game a little bit. Um, North Carolina can play well in the middle, and I think we hung with them for much longer than we probably should have um, on Monday night. But you know, the fact is we could do it, but at the same time, um, I don't trust Syracuse against a team that... Um, is bigger than them and more talented than them, or at least equally talented, um, as we see with teams like Pitt, perhaps. Um, but in the case of North Carolina, more talented, more size. Um, that's going to be a win every time. Syracuse cannot um, afford to any year, but especially this one, I feel, um, you know, lose the battle on the boards by much, if at all. Um, so yeah, a team like Colorado is a perfect example of someone who can just—they're not better, but but they can shred us. Um, just just based on you know a couple of glaring weaknesses that sometimes depth can can make up for, or at least sometimes uh, the amount, the length bodies on the floor can make up for. This year, I feel like you know for rebounds, it's either all or nothing. Either Roberson shows up and Coleman contributes, or or Roberson's a no show and Coleman um, performs similarly. Yeah, and UNC is like uh, like. They don't do the three well at all. I mean, they hit the couple early, but they were what, six for 25, and that's just not their game at all, especially because Marcus Page has kind of been an enigma this year. He was one for seven. But their rebounding is so great, and their interior play just kills us. Like, we saw what happened in the game of the Dome where they ran the same uh, high-low action um, to that little short corner over and over and kept on killing Syracuse. And then, you know, they didn't destroy us in rebounds because Roberson came to play for the first time in a while. But... Um, there was still an advantage there. And, and when you can rotate bodies in like that against SU zone, it's going to uh, cause a lot of foul issues, especially with the refereeing crew we had the other night. It was kind of embarrassing um, and how many fouls they called on both sides. 
and uh, and just there isn't a ton of depth on the orange bench, so it's it's going to be a struggle. Um, luckily, I don't think there's a team that has the number of quality bids that UNC does in the country, uh, but there are definitely ones that will get after it on the boards uh, just as well as they will, and there's you know a plenty of teams that are going to be uh, familiar with what SU does. So, it, you know, there are going to be some that we could play that, that will be totally flummoxed by SU. And there'll be some that um, will be very competent on offense against the zone. So hopefully we find uh, one of those lesser rebounding teams that uh, forces bad jumpers. Um, but it, it's it to go. I mean, uh, just showing the ACC tournament, Syracuse to move its play up to like a six. And if, if they lose the next two games, they could be out totally. So still a lot of basketball to play. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that the ACC, it's the same deal as, uh, you know, what we were talking about with um, the NCAA. I think for Syracuse, it's all about who you match up with. And obviously, there are no easy matchups um, in the league this year. But if you can avoid a team like Pittsburgh, perhaps, um, and, and, and stay out of their way, um, I, I think that, you know, Pitt's not great, but they're just not a team that, uh, that I want any part of. Um, I feel like you look at a team like Notre Dame is really fading, and they're a team I'd love to kind of get yet another crack at um at this point i think that um you know clemson same deal they're definitely a team fading i want no part of virginia tech um florida state's going to be a really iffy proposition um come saturday just because i think that there's i can't tell which direction they're going i mean that that win over notre dame was huge um, but at the same time um, notre dame is definitely trending south florida state before that game was trending south as well um there, there's just a lot at stake for for Syracuse, and and I'm, again, just. I I I feel like I just have to sit around and just wait for matchups, and I guess that's what's going to be really frustrating for a lot of Syracuse fans. Um, we've been here before, um, and we'll I'm sure be there again as long as we're tied to the zone in any way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, we're we're going to have to unfortunately play the matchup game more so than most years. I mean, Dayton was a perfect storm of a team that could beat us a couple of years ago. It worked out for them. Um, Many of us were probably rooting for Dayton against Ohio State in that first round game, and I think in hindsight, maybe Ohio State would have been the better um, opponent for Syracuse in its respective strengths that year. Um, you know, this year, it's like a little bit different mold that we're rooting against, um, but nonetheless, there are definitely some teams um, to watch out for, uh, both within the ACC bracket, and again, I'm looking at U-Pitt, um, and then there's teams to watch out for. Um, in the NCAAs, which I think we'll have to kind of cross that bridge when we get there. I like that you had like a very light criticism of the zone, and then it sounded like James Arthur was trying to abandon ship and, and run out of your house. Yeah, he uh, He's playing with a <laughs> blue dog at the moment. <laughs> yeah, Florida State, actually, the Notre Dame win was their first win since they since they went to the Dome and got crushed by SU. Um, obviously, we've seen this play out a number of times Uh just because SU killed a team one time at home doesn't mean that the same thing will happen in the return trip. So um, I feel good about the game, but I, you know, just because Syracuse won by 13 the first time doesn't mean they'll do the same thing. And, and obviously they're a much tougher team to play it uh, on the road. So uh, it's going to be a big one. Saturday's going to be crazy. There's so many big games um, across the whole college basketball world. Um, but I will be very nervous during, uh, like you said, it's, it, on paper, SU should should go in there and win and pick up win number twenty and look pretty good for the tournament. But obviously, things have not been that easy all year, so we will see. 
No, I think what you expect from Syracuse is rarely what plays out on the court. Uh, that has both pluses and minuses. Um, on the schedule overall, I think that uh, College Hoops finally kind of figured out, and maybe with the help of ESPN, maybe not, um, you know, why college football is so successful, especially at the end of the year in terms of television ratings um, and, you know, rivalry week and, and all that. And I think that, you know, having the, having the season end with a lot of critical matchups and, you know, teams that uh, were, were or are likely to finish um, in similar places in their leagues, um, and be you know jockeying for for conference tournament standing um, and NCAA tournament seating. I think it's just a, it's a smart idea to you know really just close the season on an exclamation point, especially considering you know uh, between the new shot clock and just um, a lot of parity, it 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 just felt like a really fun and exciting season. Um, watching, I know I was I was saying to my wife the other day that like last couple of years, and you and I have talked about this. Um, College basketball has been sort of unwatchable in the regular season um, when when we started really seeing these teams start to grind each other down, play a Virginia-type um, game, and more and more teams were doing that and trapping too much and all that um, and shooting poorly um, and, and using defense to kind of, you know, balance that out. Um, and the NBA was a much more watchable game. I think the NBA still is a little bit more watchable, but college has definitely redeemed itself in my eyes this year, and I find myself gravitating, especially as the Knicks continue to free fall. Um, a lot more toward uh, what college games are on television. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been like a totally different game, but uh, it's it's definitely a nice uptick. And I, I, I like that college and, and the NBA are two different games. Like, they, they're very distinct sports now um, because of how wide open the NBA has become. Um, college, not, not so much like college football, but there's still uh, a wider array of styles and and different uh, looks to the team uh, where the NBA, everyone kind of is gravitating towards the Warriors or they're not very good, um, which is fine because it, it makes for a very uh, aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. And, and then obviously the Warriors are on all the time. You can always watch them and be entertained um, because they're amazing. But uh, I, I, yeah, whatever. They're, they're fun to watch. <laughs> oh, I, hey, I, I was there when they were fun to watch and terrible. And and, yeah, and, and then, then all the fans showed up once they were fun to watch and good. Yeah, well, so so is you know sports in a non, uh, you know, with a non power of powers franchise. But um, I don't know. I kind of like the distinction. I like that I can watch a college game and it feels like a college game, and the NBA game feels like an NBA game. Um, but that being said, I do prefer the college game in 2016 over what we were watching in 2014 and 15, and that Syracuse included. Um, Obviously, the 2014 was a much better one than this year, but uh, at times, like we were kind of uh, grinding our teeth and, and being like, "Oh yeah, we're it's so great, we're number one," and it's like, "Yeah, this this is not the best product." Except for Tyler, and this was wonderful. But uh, overall, I think the sport's definitely been improved by the changes they made this off season. Undoubtedly. So I guess Dan, what is the one takeaway, uh, or like one biggest takeaway uh, that you can find from the North Carolina game? Obviously, Syracuse was down by a bunch. It looked like everything was hopeless. Then they uh, then they kind of came out firing for a, a few minutes on end. Really seemed like um, they had a shot. They were obviously just down one, um, and then things kind of fell apart again. Not spectacularly, but just they just kind of ran out of gas. So what was your uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that? Um, and you can make that positive or negative depending on, you know, just kind of what your mood is at the moment. Um, I think it was encouraging that Syracuse could play with a team that is probably has a decent talent edge, uh, while not playing its best game. Um, Syracuse obviously did not shoot well from three, 
uh, overall. Uh, 25%, 5 for 20 is pretty bad, especially because of the volume this team is forced to shoot. Um, I think we're, we're really seeing, I mean, Benajay has been amazing all year, but he's really like asserting himself now. It looks like he wants to make a run here. He had a great game individually. He didn't shoot well from deep, but overall, um, aside from, you know, it wasn't his most efficient outing, but he really like helped will the team back into it. Um, Malachi had an, uh, an interesting stretch, but wasn't great. Cooney wasn't great, but uh, it was nice to see Roberson rebound uh, literally and figuratively for the first time in what seems like two or three weeks. Um, and I think they, they hunt with a team that, uh, was doing a lot of things that Syracuse, uh, is really weak against, especially interior offense, where SU kind of has to just let people store at times because they have so little depth inside and, and the, the foul situation was ridiculous, uh, overall, just, there was so little consistency with what was being called, but, um, I don't know. I, I always, you know, it would have been nice to, to really lock up a tournament bid with a win, uh, which I think would have done it. Um, but I, I think that going into the tournament where there are going to be matchups, I mean, if SU wants to make any kind of run, it's going to have to beat teams that have been better than it all year. Um, and seeing the, the game at UNC, I mean, that game was very close. It was, what, a three-point a three point game with a couple minutes left. So uh, Syracuse could have pulled it out uh, for sure, and, and going into it or if you you know it asked me at halftime i was like yeah it seems like unc's gonna run away with this one and for a minute for a while there at the beginning of the second half it looked like that was exactly what's gonna happen but um the, the team showed some spirit which was good yeah and you know what i think in general um it was just it was a big positive to see syracuse um you know, just do better than they really should have i feel like for the most part like you can look at the box score and say oh su lost by 10 they won by 20 like whatever it is based on the, the quick glance of the box score. And I feel like this game, not so much. Um, you know, Vinajay played a ton of minutes, um, as always. Uh, didn't shoot amazingly, but, you know, scored when it counted and really was the only player on the floor that, that had a great game um, for Syracuse. And yet, I mean, and then you look at the, um, the disparity when it comes to rebounds, as always. Um, you look at how poorly they shot from uh, three. Look at... The fact that they've shot oddly well from the free throw line, which trends positive, but like in general, like you, you don't look at this box score and, and see a blueprint for um, you know a close road loss against you know a top ten, uh, potentially top five team, and, and, and that's I guess what's weird to me. Um, I, I think that it's encouraging, like you said, uh, that they can hang with a team like that, um, but I don't necessarily think it's sustainable um, for more than a game or so in the tournament. Uh, for Syracuse to be able to rely just on Benajay. I mean, again, these weren't complete no-shows by everybody else, but you can't really say that anybody else had a good game um, but him, and, and that's just unsustainable, especially from Cooney. If a guy's going to take 11 shots, um, you better hit more than three of them. Um, he's, and we've talked about him, he, stop and go, he can, he can find ways to contribute in other ways positively. I just, I'm not sold that he did a ton of that um, against UNC other than those two steals um, that he managed to say overall he probably is, is a player who's going to need to put up either more points than he did and that was 14 in that one so decent effort but he's either got to put up more points or just be more effective and or efficient from the floor um, if, if he's not going to to really have a great shooting day I did appreciate that he got himself to the line and that was, you know, big, especially because they were calling everything. So he, he got sits 
you know, it's uh, free throws. He made all of them. The team as a whole, like actually hit its free throws, which was crazy. They were 19 for 23 overall. Um, but uh, he, he kind of recognized that early and made that part of his game because the shot obviously wasn't there. The shot hasn't been there for a while. So I hope we're due for a, a good Tooney stretch um, here in March because uh, we do need him to come around. He can do things that are good when he's not hitting hitting shots, but he's you know totally changes the outlook of the team when he's able to you know knock down 40-50% of his shots. Oh, absolutely. And I think that goes for Richardson too, to be honest. I mean, we talked about him at length a couple weeks ago when you know SU was really like kind of trending positively. It seemed like Richardson's resurgence was a big part of it. Um, that he was just playing like really, like just really, really, really on point, and and you, you had to love what he was contributing. Um, I feel like, you know, he's kind of he's hit a bit of a rough patch and a little bit of freshmanitis maybe. Um, Frank Howard, I feel like, is just kind of he's not getting the minutes to be um, like a huge impact in the box score, but he's doing the little things, um, and I think hopefully we can see a little bit more of him. Um, you know, as, as the season wraps up, because I do think, you know, having him to kind of, um, you know, grab some minutes and, and give Cooney, who's completely guessed at this point, and Benajay some rest um, is much, much appreciated. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, if it's not Cooney, then, then I think Richardson in particular um, is somebody that, that, that needs to step up. If SU has any shot of winning more than a game, um, if, if even that. Um, and then, yeah, Frank Howard is another guy on this team who... Um, we probably are going to see more minutes from, um, at least if, if this team's going to be able to keep its legs um, for, for more than another week in this season. Yeah, and I think we've seen some of that. Um, start, I'm looking at, at Tooney's damn log. Uh, starting in ACC play, he played 40 minutes in the pit game. Um, this is like that 40-game losing streak, 40-35-43 in the overtime game against Clemson, 39 uh, BC, he got a little bit of rest, but uh, now the last couple of weeks he played uh, 37 FSU, Florida State, and Louisville, and then the last three games, um, which Franklin Howard's been playing a lot in, uh, 34 minutes against Pitt, 32 against NC State, 33 against UNC. I think if you get 32 good minutes out of Cooney, um, and hopefully that allows him to get his legs under him a little bit more, uh, it would really benefit. And Howard, while he's not really a scoring threat, he actually had two nice buckets in UNC. It was two for two. Um, He's pretty safe with the ball overall. He doesn't seem to be making a lot of stupid mistakes. He uh, is a really good passer. He plays good enough defense for a freshman who really ha- didn't get a lot of run until um, really maybe the last month and a half. So I, I, I don't think he's going to be a game changer, um, but I do think if he can give Cooney you know, a good five minutes of rest here and there, or even Benege for a minute or two, I don't know how much we can afford that, but uh, or Richardson a couple minutes, um, I think that that could be a big impact, um, and and you know we can tell Beheim kind of trusts him at least more than he usually does a freshman because uh, it doesn't seem like he's all that hesitant to put him in in pretty big situations or in the middle of the game when things are still on the line. Oh yeah, and like you said, you know it, it's the fact that he's not really much of a liability. He had two turnovers um, against UNC, but when you look at the other guards, I mean Cooney had none, and, and there's the reason why Beheim trusts him even when the, the shot isn't falling, but. Richardson had four. Benajay had seven, um, which is a number I didn't really know until I looked at this game log a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, that Howard's proven himself that, that he belongs on the floor um, due to the lack of mistakes. Now, again, like we, we said it when Howard was first getting more minutes. It's, it's the fact that he's doing little things 
um, on defense, surprisingly, um, as a freshman, and then also doing, um, you know, some more little things off the ball um, on offense that are really helping. I just think that, you know, if if Frank Howard uh, is, is the guy that we need to step up um, to make a tournament run, that might be problematic. Um, and that's not a knock on him. It's more a knock on the construction of this team that um, we know we have a certifiable number one, but the 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 guy who's playing the, the second banana role on this team is just so much in flux and sometimes non-existent um, that it, it, you sometimes get forced to, you know, go to your fifth or sixth scoring option. And that's you know, a scary proposition for any team um, in the regular season, never mind a tournament. Yeah. yeah. And we, we can't have it. We're powered taking a lot of shots. It's just not going to work. It's going to be the three guards um, doing what they do. If, if, both Tooney and Malachi stay cold. It's not going to be a long march. But hopefully uh, those two are due and, and break out here. Um, and if not, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see, uh, see everyone next year because it can't just be Benajay. And, and there's not going to be like a walkover game. We're, we're kind of not – we get used to like being a one, two, or three seed uh, a lot in the – not really a two, we haven't been a two, but we've been a one or a three or, or I guess four in the year we went to the final four. We've had some pretty easy games uh, early on, even – you know, we, I think we, I forgot who we played before Dayton, but it wasn't Western uh, Michigan. Very, right. And that wasn't, that was a laugher. I mean, that was tougher than the Montana state game, but it wasn't much more than that. Uh, this year it's going to be, it's going to be all tough ones. Um, because Syracuse isn't exactly uh, outclassing anyone on the eight or nine line. So, um, yeah, we're going to need those guys to wake up real quick. Right. And like, yeah, you brought up a good point there. I think Syracuse fans in general, us included have gotten a little too used to, um, this kind of uh, elevated station um, in life based on, you know, not just quality regular season performances, but also like some really nice and surprising, uh, you know, tournament showings that have, uh, that it may be given them a better seed than they, than one might have thought they were. I mean, um, the Big East tournament run in um, 08 09 definitely brought that team up a couple seeds. Um, the obvious, you know, the Jerry run in 05 06 did the same thing. These were teams that were either, you know, hanging around the 8-9 line or lower. Um, in the case of the 05-06 team, like, potentially out. Um, and, you know, a, a nice run put them on a 5 line. Um, and then, obviously, again, the same thing with the 08-09 team, that, that they they received higher seeds that might not have been indicative of the seasons overall, but were indicative of the overall body of work when you looked at the conference tournament uh, performance. Um, yes, so I, at this point, we're looking at probably 10 years' worth of um, you know, SU fans getting overmatched opponents in round one. I mean, they've lost to a couple of them, looking at Vermont ugh, and, uh, and Texas A&M in particular. But um, overall, SU has been uh, favored um, heavily in uh, in its first round matchup now for 10 years straight, or at least in the tournaments we were in in that stretch. Um, and it's definitely, uh, definitely going to be a weird dynamic for a lot of us um, especially those of us who weren't at school the last time we weren't favored, um, you know, to, to see something a little bit different, uh, barring us making the tournament. Yeah, I mean, every time we've made it, that I've been an SU fan, we've been a, a top four seed, so it's going to be a bit of an adjustment. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully we just, if we made it to the second weekend, I think that would be a, a huge accomplishment for this team and something nice to build on. Obviously, that's asking a lot because there's a good chance we're playing a, a one or a two seed in, in the round of 32. But uh, again, we'll see. I, I'm 
not going to automatically write the team off, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting. We, we're not going to be able to pencil, pencil our way into the Sweet 16 this year, that's for sure. No. And you know what? Like, it's weird. I, uh, like, rational me right now says, like, yeah, I'd be happy with Sweet 16. But at the same time, and, and you know how this works as a fan, like, rational me is going to go out the window if, if Syracuse can find its way past a, a one or a two seed in round two and get itself to Sweet 16. And I think all bets are off that I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately for my own, you know, mental stability and health thinking Final Four, just like most other fans, after the first two wins. Yeah, I'm going to say I probably, I hopefully won't do that, but I know in the back of my mind I'll be like, yeah, but we could beat Kansas. I mean, why why wouldn't we be able to beat Kansas? They lost to uh, they lost to Oklahoma State that one time on the road. That was a thing that happened once. That wasn't something to uh, – that's, that's not totally unreasonable to extrapolate that and say that Syracuse uh, can – you know, upset the best team in the tournament. No, of course. And you know what? Like, I think it really, again, it's all about matchups. It's also about location. Um, I know in some of the brackets that came out, we were a nine seed, we were a nine seed um, in Oklahoma's bracket, down in Oklahoma City. I mean, that's a loss. Um, that's a loss not just because um, I, I think that Oklahoma's a great team, but also a loss because, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a largely partisan crowd. I mean, it doesn't always guarantee a win, but um, when you have a team like Oklahoma that just seems overwhelmingly talented, especially at one position in particular, um, it just seems like a recipe for disaster for Syracuse or any team that goes up against them. If, uh, again, we, we face, let's say, you know, USC um, as an eight seed at the Garden and then move on to face Villanova again in front of a, you know, heavily orange crowd, I mean, th- that's a recipe for a tournament upset. And maybe some people get pissed off about that because for some reason people think Syracuse is right next to New York City. Thank you, Dr. Gross. Um, but in general, like... We're going to have to play a little bit of matchup and location. At the same time, you know, we Cal did not get right back in this when we were playing in San Jose, right near them, um, when they were, were a lower seed than us. Um, and all that worked out for the better. And we played in the West and we played in D.C. And we managed to get ourselves to a Final Four just a couple years ago. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying everything hinges on location and matchups, but there's a, there's a decent amount of it that hinges on, especially the matchup part of that equation. Yep, so uh, get ready to convince yourself of uh, a lot of different scenarios because heading into the conference tournaments, I mean, it seems like we've been hanging around this like 8, 9, 10, I mean, pretty much since we got back into the tournament uh, field. But um, the conference tournaments, I I think, could throw a total wrench in a lot of, you know, for a lot of these seeding lines because, like, the Big 12, uh, they have so many teams that are in, like, the top four or five seed ranges. I'm looking now, they have... Uh, I mean, their top seven teams are all going to get in. Um, that tournament could kind of lay waste to um, a lot of different things in terms of like where teams are projected to go now. And the ACC is kind of similar with, you know, seven or eight teams that are possible tournament teams vying for for position. You know, if someone weird goes on a run, it can shuffle up a whole a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and I mean, this is another thing that that SU fans and we're just about at halftime. Um, as you fans need to keep in mind too, is that we're back to the the weird place we haven't been in a while of just you know rooting against Cinderellas and rooting against uh, some bubble teams. I know in the the post I put up today and, and for people listening uh, yesterday, um, talking about SU's kind of bracketology um, projections, um, I also mentioned a bunch of teams that we might be wanting to root against. Um, some of those have realistic you know options to play their way in; others not as much. I think Florida. 
um, is, is one team. You know, they got like 14 losses already. They'd have to get to at least the SEC semifinals with, with a big upset on the resume. Um, if they have any shot, it isn't large at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I think SU is going to have to do a lot of tournament watching. Um, I mean, granted, they can also they still just like a lot of other teams have control of their own fate. If Syracuse can, um, you know, beat a team like Georgia Tech, um, and then beat a team like Notre Dame, I mean, they're in. I think I think if they beat Georgia Tech, they're probably in. If they beat Georgia Tech and Notre Dame, they're definitely in. Uh, they can go further than that. Now we're suddenly talking about maybe elevation to a seven seed or a six seed. Um, you know, depending on what happens next. I think this team could probably get as high as a five, depending on who they beat in the ACC tournament. Um, I think there's enough that, you know, that that means also that nobody else got upset except the teams in our way. Um, we were able to beat, you know, a, a two or three top 20 teams um, en route to a championship. I, I'm not predicting that. I'm not expecting that. But just painting a picture for folks of, like, what's the absolute highest um they can climb. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Assuming like not total mayhem happens otherwise, but I mean, so many of these tournaments, like at the top, like I said, the Big Twelve, that's all going to be tournament teams playing each other, um, unless like Oklahoma State or Kansas State makes a run. So uh, a lot of them might just be rearranging deck chairs. But um, I think five sounds about right if Syracuse is to make a run, and and uh, I think just like. One win in the next two, I think, should seal it for us in terms of just making the field. I, I, I feel pretty good about not being uh, too nervous on Slush and Sunday as long as we get, like, one more win, hit 20. Uh, two more wins, I think we're, like, golden. And no more, and things might get interesting. Right. And, yeah, things, things can get very interesting, very scary um, in that regard. I think, I know TeamRankings.com said 22 wins, and there's, like, a 90% shot we're in. Um, I think it might be a little bit higher than that in my mind, but um, even if we're going to play that game, um, yeah, I, I think two more wins should be enough. Um, obviously, if it's against Florida State and then you know whoever we'd face in the, our first matchup in the ACC tournament, I think that that would seal the deal because um, I don't think anyone would really fault us for like a quarterfinals or so matchup, uh, quarterfinals or so loss in the ACC tournament. But if we were ha- if we happen to lose to Florida State and then win a couple games in the ACC tournament, I think that would do the uh, do the trick just as well. Yep, I think we're uh, on the same page there. Good deal. And on that note, uh, let's talk about some beer. Dan, what have you been enjoying? Uh, not a ton of exciting stuff uh, the last couple of weeks. It hasn't been a big drinking week. Um, I enjoyed some kind of average stuff, like some yinglings during the Oscars. Uh, always a drinkable event to get through a lot of the boringness and also the awkwardness is here. Um, and then uh, the one nice thing I did Jet was a random free pitcher of Omegang Wit during the UNC game because of a strange pouring error on the part of the bar I was at, so that was fun. Um, and that, you know, was one of my standbys up at Syracuse. Uh, and then now, like, I feel like I had so much of it then that I always, I often pass on it, but it was by far the best option for me on Monday, and uh, I was reminded why I like it so much. It's a great beer, so I enjoyed that. Nice, and obviously helps to uh, have something to wash the pain away when... Uh... When Syracuse loses. Oh, oh yes. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> uh, some of mine this past week. Um, talked about it a couple weeks ago, but had it in bottles this time around. It was uh, the Breweries La Rancis. It's a raspberry sour blonde. Uh, very, very good. Like I said, even better in bottles. Um, had Buried Hatchet. 
um, from Southern Star Brewing down in Texas, and then had the uh, Bourbon Barrel Aids version called Black Crack. Um, very, very good stuff. Definitely drank a lot easier than the 11% change it was. Um, had the brewery, so happens it's Tuesday. Um, it's kind of like a toned-down version of the famed Black Tuesday. It's around 14%. Uh, good drink for a Friday night. Um, Saturday had some monkish black kisses. It's a blackberry and a blackcurrant um, sour. Um, and then also had over at Abigail Brewing. It's over. It's not too far from here. I talk about it here and there. Um, had the By the Bay IPA. Um, that was was good. It was amazing, but it was it was a it was a good drink to just have out. Um, and then I also had um, Al Smith IPA for some reason. Uh, before the Oscars, I was kind of craving a, uh, a fresh IPA to to enjoy during the event. And uh, surprisingly, I'm getting a little annoyed by this that uh, there just wasn't a ton of like fresh stuff around. Uh, luckily, uh, found a six pack of Ale Smith, uh, was able to to enjoy that. Otherwise, I would have gone uh, gone rummaging for something else. But yeah, I, I was I was startled by the the lack of fresh options. Um, especially from the local breweries, uh, kind of hanging around on shelves last weekend. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, and on that note, uh, let's talk bracketology, and then we can switch over to football a little bit. So let me open that up. Make it for some great radio. I'm actually ahead of you this week. I'm all prepared. And Look stuff. at this guy. It's, uh, it's like a. <laughs> I'm, finally I'm finally learning what we do every week during uh, from like February on. Well, it took like three years, but <laughs> we got there. <laughs> All right. Um, so, for some reason, this opened the January 25th bracketology. Yep, that that happened. Uh, that just ESPN killing killing the SEO game. Yeah, they're uh, they're the best. Um, All right, so. March 2nd, Bracketology. Um, this bracket has us in it. Um, so, looking at the Midwest first, I got Kansas. Uh, I got Colorado beating us for the aforementioned reasons. Um, I was a tire fire, so I got, I got Duke. I got Duke losing to Kansas in the Sweet 16. Um, then on the other end, um, as much as I want to pick a, uh, a thorough creening, on that side, um, I'm picking Indiana, and I'm picking Kansas over Indiana, um, which should be a really fun Elite Eight game were it to happen. Yeah, I, I have the same thing. Uh, I, I kind of want to pick, like, Wichita. I just, I'm not buying into Wichita this year. Um, I think one of the interesting, maybe uh, lower seeds, Oregon State's playing, like, really surprisingly under-the-radar did basketball. Uh, I don't think they're going to beat – they might beat Notre Dame. I don't think they'll beat Indiana because I'm kind of buying Indiana this year, uh, which is weird to say and uncomfortable. Um, but like you said, I think Kansas – I said it early, like Kansas just looks like they they kind of hit a a place where they're kind of rising above the rest of college basketball right now. Obviously, that could come crashing down to earth uh, because, you know, Bill Self does not have the best tournament record, um, unlike his pretty impeccable regular season record. But this year's team, like, they have three really dynamic guards. They have a great forward. They have some good depth. They have two, like, highly uh, recruited, like, five-star freshmen that barely play. So who knows if one of them breaks out. Um, I really like the Kansas team. So I have them going to the Final Four. 
It's a fair point. You brought up a good point with Oregon State, too. Um, I think in a different... If they can beat... Well, I don't think Gonzaga's going to make it. But if they can beat Gonzaga in a, in a potential matchup between 11s in the playing game, um, I think they're, they're a lock to beat Notre Dame based on the way the Irish have been trending. Um, the Beavers have definitely played really well. I think Gary Payton um, has been a... Uh, is finally round into the player I think a lot of people thought he was going to be uh, for the Beavs. And yeah, if if Indiana moves somewhere else, um, Oregon State is one is you know that that one sl- that one play-in team a year um, kind of makes it to at least the Sweet Sixteen. I think I think that streak's still going, um, and I, I think Oregon State would be a prime candidate for that spot this year. Yeah, they're an interesting team. That actually wouldn't shock me if they end up. Uh... You know, if they have a, a nice little run in the Pac-12 tournament, they could move their way up to like a 10. Yeah, I think all they had to do was uh, fire Barack Obama's brother-in-law. <laughs> and, <laughs> and suddenly Oregon State's good at basketball. Thanks, Obama. Perfect. Um, moving over to the East, um, Pitt-USC is just a... Those two teams right now, I don't... If another eight or nine were there, I'd say that Villanova was looking perilously uh, down the barrel of a uh, the upset gun once again. I think Nova can get out of that first weekend, though, based on how those two teams have been playing. Uh, Maryland's in a free fall. A&M's holding steady. I think Maryland can turn it around. Um, I don't think they can turn it around enough to beat Nova, though, which suddenly has Nova in the Elite Eight. Um, down on the other end, um, you can pencil in Monmouth as an upset over Arizona. Um, West Virginia, despite Hofter being very good, um, I've got West Virginia getting out of that bottom part uh, with some ease. I mean, Miami's very good, and uh, I wouldn't doubt them being able to do it either, but I've got West Virginia over Villanova uh, in, in the in the Elite Eight here uh, with an asterisk that Miami could also slot in somewhere. This is like the ultimate ugly basketball bracket. Um, Villanova plays okay basketball. They're kind of fun to watch. Pitt USC is a, a not a fun game. Um, I do think I agree. Nova, that's like not a bad draw for them. I think there are way worse eight nine draws than that. Uh, just in terms of Pitt, you know they they rebound a little bit, but then they lost tonight uh, to Virginia Tech, which is a bad loss when you're trying to make the tournament. Um, not that Vontaze that bad, but you know you want to separate yourself from a thir- seventeen thirteen team. Um, I like A and M in the top half. Uh, I just think they played pretty steady ball. They hit a little bit of a rough patch. And it feels like they've, they've definitely rebounded. They beat Kentucky recently. Um, I feel I feel like they, they had hit a really high point where people were finally paying attention to them right before they started losing games. And now it's taken a while for, for uh, the college basketball world to like repay attention to them. Um, I think maybe they're a little underseated at five, honestly. They're, they're a really steady, nice team. Um, so I'm going to take them out of the top half. Maryland, like they could come surging back, but it just seems like they've been uh, trending downward for too long, so this might just be who they are. Um, in the bottom, uh, in turn, uh, you know, sticking with the ugly basketball thing, West Virginia, not a fun uh, style. Uh, they are really, really uh, physical. Uh, they will foul you a lot. Um, they don't shoot the ball all that well, I believe, uh, but they win. They're effective. Um, I... I Kind of like them coming out of the bottom, like you said. I, I think uh, Arizona has a lot of talent, but they just haven't put it together in a couple weeks. Miami, um, I feel like they're maybe not quite as good as they've played. I think they've kind of outplayed where they are in terms of as a team. 
but they definitely deserve that two seed. But uh, I'll take West Virginia and A&M, and I'm actually going to take A&M to go to the Final Four. All right, all right. Two teams that could have been in the SEC together if realignment had shut out differently. I, uh, yeah, I, I think West uh, I don't know if that's much better for the West, for West Virginia, though. <laughs> At least not, not for football. Basketball, maybe. Fair. Um, all right, headed down south. Um, UVA elevated to the one line. We know how we feel about UVA. I don't buy in as, on them as a one, but I think they get out of the first weekend here. St. Joe's has really not been playing great lately. South Carolina's been playing even worse. Uh, so I got Virginia coming out of that top group. Uh, this Cal uh, Arkansas Little Rock game pisses me off because I'd really like to see both teams separately. Um, I've got Cal, and then I've got Cal beating Virginia uh, pretty handedly um, over in the Sweet 16. Um, over on the other end, uh, Utah has been playing really, really well of late. Um, I'm going to go with Michigan State over them, but I don't like it. Um, it's more just because of how Michigan State plays um, come March. Otherwise, I would definitely go with the Utes. Um, so that leaves us with Cal and Michigan State. Um, and I will go with Michigan State, despite me wanting Cal to uh, get right back in this in the, uh, in the most biggest and uh, notable way possible. Um, all right, so I'm going, if there are any Virginia fans <laughs> listening, I, I apologize right off the bat, and you'll see why. Um, I really like Virginia. I think uh, I'm going to take them out of the top half. Um, Cal is fun. Cal's been playing good ball. I think Cal's you know youth might hurt them in a matchup with Virginia just because that pap line defense is not a, a fun thing to play against for the first time. Um, I also, as an aside, I might just pencil in Hawaii over Iowa State just <laughs> to exercise those demons. Um, in the bottom, Utah's been playing really good ball. Texas has was playing really good ball for a while. I could see them losing to St. Mary's. Uh, I could also see them running St. Mary's out of the gym. I I don't know which one I would favor. Uh, I'll take Utah in that little pod. And then, like you, I'm taking Michigan State, which means for the third year in a row, I am taking the Michigan State Spartans to beat the Virginia Cavaliers (laughs) in the NCAA tournament. I'm so sorry, Virginia. I like your team. I don't mind that you play really ugly defensive basketball. I think I appreciate it. Uh, But sorry. It's destined. It's destiny. Like, it, Virginia and Michigan State, if they're seated in the same bracket, they will both make it to the Elite Eight, and Michigan State will ruin their their year again for the third straight year. That. Although, yeah, like at least Michigan State this year would be like it wouldn't be that big of an upset. It wouldn't be an upset at all. It's just like three years in a row losing to the same team in the tournament. Like that's that's awful. <laughs> that's so Especially brutal. It's Michigan State, and like Michigan State hasn't doesn't deserve what it's what it's had of late or just any time during the, the Izzo era other than the year that they won it all. Um, they just happen to get lucky the other times. I know that that's a lot coming from me, always compla- claiming the teams get lucky and then celebrating the fact that Syracuse got very lucky one year to get to the Final Four. Um, oh, well, I, I make the rules on this podcast, and I'm allowed to do that. Um, so, yeah, I'll pick – I think Michigan State has been in our projections every week since we started doing this uh, at least a month ago. That's troubling, but also the realities of the world we live in. They're really good. I mean, Valentine is playing out of his mind lately since basically they had that midseason swoon after they were like the number one team in everyone's everything, and he was player of the year, and then he got hurt, and they disappeared for like a month, 
and now he's playing. Like I looked it up today, he's averaging something like twenty-two, eight and eight, or something close in the last ten games. And he's he might jump Buddy Heald for Player of the Year. I don't know. It might be too late because Buddy Heald kind of got the kind uh, of the, the traction in the media pretty early, and uh, he might just coast all the way there. Not coast. He's playing great, but um, Valentine's been. He's just a ridiculous all-around player. And then Brid Forbes today, uh, he hit 11 threes. He's shooting 50% from three. Aaron Harris is really good. Matt Costello's a nice player. Like, they're just a really good, well-rounded team. Um, and I also – I won't join in on the Michigan State tournament slander. I think Tom, Tom Izzo is a very good tournament he is. coach. He is. I just also think there's a little bit of luck involved. No, there's always – there always is. Uh, all right. Headed out west. Um North Carolina does not have an issue with Texas Tech if they get through, but Vandy has suddenly become very upset-minded. I still like North Carolina to get through there. Um, I think Valpo upsets Purdue. Um, I think that Kentucky has kind of slowed down a little bit, but um, against any of the other number ones, I'd probably pick Kentucky, um, but against North Carolina, I don't buy it. Uh, I got the Tar Heels in the Elite Eight. Um, Down at the other end... Um, the fact that Butler or Michigan could be in this field is laughable. Um, so Baylor gets through, and they beat Oregon, too, because I don't buy the Ducks at all. Um, I got Wisconsin beating Providence, but not Oklahoma. I got Oklahoma over Baylor um, in what is a way-too-early Sweet 16 matchup between teams in the same conference. Um, and then I got North Carolina over Oklahoma, despite my better judgment, uh, setting up a Final Four for me of Kansas, North Carolina, uh, West Virginia, and Michigan State. Um, I am going to take Kentucky over North Carolina. Right. Uh, I this this isn't one of the Kentucky teams of the last couple of years where they have just all the kinds of all kind of bigs, but I think they have enough size where they can uh, kind of take you know deal with UNC's three really good bigs. Um, Stalabissier has been pretty bad this year, but he actually had a showed some, some life against Florida. Um, and then they, they obviously need Derek Willis back. So that, this is kind of hinging on him recovering from his, uh, I believe, ankle injury. I'm um, taking them out of the top part. I'm going to – I agree with you on Baylor uh, over Oregon. Um, I'm going to take Oklahoma out of the bottom. Uh, I will take hmm. – I'm going to take Kentucky to go to the Final Four again, and I don't love doing it just because it's Kentucky. But Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray are probably the best overall backcourt in college basketball. They haven't gotten a lot of help from the rest of the team. But when you have two guards that could just go nuts on any given night, um, I think that trumps a lot. Uh, they have a coach who knows how to get his team there. Um, and it's just, I, I think this road isn't all that. I mean, it could be a lot worse. I think the matchups are, are not bad for Kentucky. Oklahoma, Buddy Heald can beat anyone by himself. So obviously it wouldn't be that much of a surprise if he went and dropped 35. Uh, you know, he, he has a lot of size on Ulis. Um, I'm guessing they would use Murray to dart him. Um, Oklahoma's a really well-rounded team. They're not playing their best basketball right now, but they could easily rebound. But right now I'm going to take Kentucky. I think uh, that backcourt is just incredibly good. Um, and I think in the tournament, you know, having two guards that can take over is, is big. So I have uh, Kansas, Kentucky, um, do I have A and M uh, and Michigan State, which is aside from A and M, that's a very uh, pretty predictable Final Four in a very unpredictable year. Yeah, mine was too, actually. 
and, and I guess this is the bummer of these things. I mean, last year we said super unpredictable, and then we ended up with like a very kind of blue blood bracket. Um, these things just sort of happen. I mean, the sports just at the end of the day, college basketball made it look a little bit more wide open than college football. We don't have to dig in this because I know we did already a couple weeks ago. But at the end of the day, people still expect and like to see those blue bloods at the top line, and they usually are. Yeah, I mean, it, it bears out in the ratings. Like, the first weekend, you always want like, the, the crazy upsets and having a bunch of those is fine. But whenever there's, like, I feel like the ratings are always better when they're the Blue Bloods. And, uh, you know, people like rooting against Kentucky. They like rooting against Kansas. Kansas hasn't really been that far into it, so it hasn't really played in that much lately. But um, if Kentucky won another run, like, it would the, the hype train would be out of control. A Kentucky-Kansas matchup in the Final Four. I know they just played earlier this month or in February. Um, two of the best backcourts in college basketball. Uh, that would be fun. And A&M, they're, they're an interesting team. We saw them. We beat them, which is still our best win probably. Uh, or at Duke at this point. Um, but they're, they're an interesting group, and I think uh, they'd be a fun underdog story. And the Michigan State, Tom Izzo just does what he does. So I think it would be a, a pretty interesting one in, in mine. Um but there's a lot of like really fun teams that could make for interesting matchups. So we are we are so close, very very close. And I'm looking forward to what happens next. Um, before we close out, I want to touch a little bit about football. Um, that's the focus for Dan and I for the most part um, during the year, during the off season. I think we don't really talk about basketball at all during the off season. <laughs> Pretty much just focus in on football and uh, figure do a little bit of that here. Um, since spring practice is ongoing. Um, so Dan, Dino Babers today, uh, in an article by Chris Carlson, was talking about how the hybrids are all going to be sorted into actual positions um, probably after the, the scrimmage on Saturday. Um, was that surprising to you? Do you disagree with anywhere that the three players in particular uh, were being sorted, or do you think it all kind of makes sense? Um, I think it makes sense. Uh, it's interesting because we really didn't know how it was going to work out. And with guys, I mean, I think we've just kind of fallen into, like, being used to these guys, being used in the way they've been under McDonald and Lester. Um, but, I mean, looking back at Bowling Green, I mean, they have they have different guys uh, within those position groups that have specific roles. But it does seem like their running backs are running backs and their receivers are receivers. So I think having some clarity as to the role uh, would be good. Um, personally, like, I still am on the Irv Phillips is a better running back than receiver banner, but... Uh, I trust Dino to, you know, make the right decision there. He knows, like, a infinite, uh, like, there's so much more about offense than I do. And maybe there's just more openings at the receiver position. So it's just, you know, a better way to get the best athletes on the field. But uh, I'm fine with it. I, I think, uh, obviously, the hybrid thing had so much hype in the last two years and never really developed into something that was great for any of those players. Um, I'm especially, I'm excited to see Dante Strickland. I think... Every time he touched the ball last year, it seemed like he was ready to do something electric, and we just never gave him the ball because that seemed too logical. Uh, so having him at running back, um, obviously now there's a couple more carries to go around because Devontae McFarlane is leaving the program. That's the luck to him. Um, I think I think it's fine. I, I It makes more sense now hearing that than uh, when it seemed like we were just going to have more you know hybrids in the offense again and trying to figure out where that uh, where that fit in. Yeah, I mean, I still think that you you could end up with, you know, uh, running backs a little more pass-catching, um, looking specifically at uh, Strickland, um, and maybe Tyrone Perkins. You're looking at, you know, wide receivers that are going to operate more out of the slot. I think Irv is, is definitely going to be 
uh, penciled in there, but a slot guy who's going to end up going deep a bunch too, based on uh, Babers' feedback, Irv's feedback, as well as uh, Steve Ishmael's um, now regular feedback on just everything Syracuse football. Um, I, I think that I, I do agree with you. I'd be curious to switch Irv and, and Strickland. I think that Strickland was a little bit better of an option catching the football, and, and Irv is just such a great running back. Um, but I, I, you know, again, Babers has forgotten more football than I'll ever know, and that's fine. Um, and and he can, you know, he can he can run the team the way he wants and, and the way he chooses. And and I, I do trust him uh, with his decision, and I'm sure most others feel the same way. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how these carries shake out now in the backfield, as you mentioned. Uh, Devonta McFarland's gone, but. Um, I never really understood what role he was supposed to play out of, like, the backs. I think that Jordan Fredericks, while he might have had the fat back nickname, um, I don't buy him as a, as a short yardage option um, all that much, which leaves us with either Joel Shaw, the true freshman who will be arriving um, this summer, or, I don't know, I guess we're giving it to George Morris. Uh, I don't. I don't think Jacob Hill's an option there. I like Jacob Hill a lot. I think he's. Uh, I think he gets fun uh, personality to the team, but I, I don't. I'm not really banking on him being uh, as large of a contributor this year as he might have been last year. Um, injuries aside, um, so yeah, I, I think that the, uh, the the way those carries shake out now um, between Morris, Fredericks, um, and Strickland um, is, is going to be very interesting. And again, more so even when, uh, when Shaw shows up and we see if the tank package returns or if it, it's just kind of retired for good. Yeah. I mean, I think Fredericks is probably the, the most logical person as being more of a power back that's on the roster now, but I think he's more, uh, I think he, he's more well-rounded than that. So I'd like to see him in spread packages, see him in the regular, uh, the regular open field offense. Um, but like you said, they're just, there really wasn't a lot of room for McFarland. Who knows? I mean, Fredericks was great last year. Uh, I think people kind of almost forgot about how good he was, considering like how good Dungey was in his you know, what half a season of playing without injury. Um, but he was kind of a revelation as a running back. So I'm looking forward to see the Nets, uh, what he's doing next. I think Strickland um, has a chance to be a really like a game breaking talent. He was our pretty much our, our top recruit in that class. And last year, you know, he got some carries here and there, and he seemed to do a lot with them and just never really got fed the ball. Um, and then Morris is back, and he's, you know, reliable if unspectacular. I'm sure he'll still have a role. And, and then you even have Mo Neal. Who knows if he'll be a running back or receiver, because I know he kind of fills the same role as Phillips. Um, but, I, I, you know, he may not get any touches, or he could be part of the offense from day one. It's He's, he's on campus now. He has a big advantage over guys like Shaw because he's – he's participating in spring so there are a lot of potential carries to go around and you know McFarland read read the tea leaves got a couple days in in practice probably said you know I, this offense probably doesn't make the most sense for me or I, I don't know where I fit in so hopefully he has a good final season wherever he does end up because I do think he's a, a talented player yeah and you know what I think the good thing for McFarland too is that he can transfer um, and play next year um, because he is a redshirt senior he has that option I think that I'm not sure if he's an FBS back at the power conference level. I think that if there's a if there's a group of five team looking to add a running back, um, he might not be the worst option. I think FCS, he might get a bigger chance to just kind of shine right off the bat and put up the types of numbers that could potentially um, get him in position to be an NFL draft talk. I mean, who knows? I, I didn't. That's not to knock him. I didn't really see NFL draft potential from him um, in his time at SU, but. 
Um, that doesn't mean he can't get there. I mean, stranger things have happened. Um, but Dan, where do you see? Um, I know you brought up two names. Um, we should probably touch on before signing off. Um, where do you see Tyrone Perkins, and where do you see Moniel kind of shaking out either the spring or, or going into the summer? Um, it's hard to know. I mean, it's we haven't heard a lot about them. We saw, I think we saw Neil doing drills with the running backs. Um, I, I mean, Neil was such a productive runner in high school that I kind of hope he starts a running back, but there might be more room available at receiver. I, I think if he can play this year, you get him on the field and you can always, you know, cross train him and move him as you need. Um, Perkins is a bit more of a wild card just because he wasn't as lauded as a, as a recruit. He was, you know, a nice player, but he, he didn't have all the fanfare, but, uh, and obviously he's, uh, you know, uh, kind of a similar size. Um, it wouldn't shock me if, uh, they looked for more at the receiver position just because I think we do have a little more depth at running back, especially once Shaw gets here. Um, but it, it's tough to know. I mean, we, we're kind of going into this blind. We have a, a vague idea. We know what the offense is, but we don't know exactly how these things work out in terms of, you know, Babers as a head coach, how, how, what his tendencies are and whatnot. So, uh, we're learning just as much as everyone else, I think from a, a day-to-day basis. But, uh, I, I do trust him to get the guys in the right position because he's proven that that he that's what he's good at as a head coach. He's won everywhere, so uh, but I think it's it's almost a kind of a cop out. But you really can't put too much doubt in Babers because he hasn't given us any reason to. Agreed. Now you brought up a good point there, and we don't have to dive into it again because you know we did about a month back, um, and that is like SU has had a different offense pretty much every year for like the last what eight or nine, um, and and that's uh, that's alarming, but. It's, it, it leaves us fans and, and those of us who write about and cover the team um, always guessing and never really sure where people start to plug in. I mean, we can, we can take educated guesses based on what we know about football and what we know about coach tendencies and, and player strengths, but at the end of the day, these are coach decisions and, and ones that, yeah, when it comes to Babers, um, I'm going to trust until I'm given a reason not to. Um, I think people were, were slow to warm to that idea um, at the beginning of the Babers era, but I feel like people have just kind of figured it out now that, like, just because he's not Scott Schaefer, even the, to the most ardent Scott Schaefer supporters, um, doesn't mean that he's bad. And I think uh, he's he's proven, if anything, that he uh, that he's pretty good at what he does, and at least pretty good at knowing what he can do and what his system can do, and and how he can recruit um, talent um, to the program. I think we've we've seen plenty of that already um, in both the normal recruiting cycle as well as uh, you know. Transfer Gabe Sherrod, who's uh, we'll definitely talk about him when we get around to the defensive side of the ball next week, um, as well as uh, Moore, who showed up. Well, he won't show up until the summer, but the Juco transfer, who's got, I believe it's three years left, which is uh, which is a nice bonus for us, especially at a yes. position we need like corner. Three to play three, and he has good corner size. It sounds like he he's still kind of drawing into things, but um, if, if you can find a cornerback who can step in, you know, that's a really tough position to recruit, as we've seen. Uh, so uh, I'm always down to take a shot on a on a slightly older cornerback. Agreed. And, uh, yeah, based on what we've seen for SU, um, I think any and all help is welcome, even if we end up with the same players starting. Um, at least there's a little more, uh, little more test and a little more uh, competition to make sure we're getting the best players on the field. Totally. totally. And on that note, uh, I think we'll close out. Uh, Dan, thanks as always for joining. Always a pleasure. Yeah, and we are uh, a week from now. We'll be just uh, 
I think Syracuse will. What, what if we we have one by? What when will we start playing? Wednesday or Thursday? Thursday. I think Tuesday just the, Thursday. Wait, maybe it's Wednesday. Because the ACC ends on Saturday now, so it would have to be Wednesday. Assuming we're like a, in that five to eight range, which I don't know if that we could fall out of. Yeah. Um, and we we could apparently be as high as a five if like a lot of weird stuff happens. I don't buy that. I don't think it, I mean it requires I think someone said it requires BC beating Clemson no, which no. isn't going to happen but it sounds like we have a good shot of being in the 6 so that's I don't know what the matchup equals there uh but I mean that's kind of cool finishing sits in the ACC considering all all the things I'd take that I guess I feel like it's probably Georgia There's not a lot of great options no. but you know you take what you can I, I guess I'd rather face Georgia Tech than like Virginia Tech Yeah if I had to choose between the two techs I think Georgia Tech's the one to go with yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll definitely be talking ACC tournament, actual seating, and maybe a little bit more clarity on the NCAA tournament situation, too, um, even if not completely. Um, so that'll be something fun to look forward to. Um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks to everyone for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk, on iTunes, on whatever device or service you listen to us on. And uh, yeah, go Orange this weekend. Go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.